I'm Pastor Brad Cornelius of Gethsemane Lutheran Church, and I invite you to join us for the next hour. And later, we will take questions at 740-383-9944. That's 740-383-WWGH. Or on Facebook at the Wittenberg Door, where you can submit your questions live. Please join us now on the Wittenberg Door. Hello? Hello? You can go right ahead, Brett. You're on the air. Okay. Hello, everybody. This is Brett Cornelius, pastor of Gethsemane Lutheran Church, and we welcome you again to another edition of the Wittenberg Door. Uh, I am not in studio today. I'm down in Perryville, Kentucky, and uh, so I'm calling remotely from Perryville, the, actually the Battle of Perryville uh, Battlefield. So uh, <laughs> I guess we'll uh, have a few things to talk about today. Uh, is Lee Hall there? Hello. Uh, go right ahead, Brett. You're on the air. You sound yeah. I'm, I'm look. I, is Lee Hall in the studio? Oh, not yet. No, sorry. Okay. All right. Well, I guess uh, we're going to start this without him then, uh, folks. Today is um, or this weekend coming up here is Trinity Sunday. Uh, Trinity Sunday is the Sunday in the church year when uh, Christians focus specifically on this theme of the Holy Trinity. And, uh, of course, uh, it's one of the uh, deepest mysteries of the Christian faith. Um, it is a, a, a doctrine that many people struggle with because, uh, it, of course, it's like unlike anything that we encounter in creation. Uh, in the Trinity, we come upon uh, the one true God who is three distinct persons three distinct persons in one true God. And, uh, of course, it, it's hard for us to wrap our mind around this mystery. Uh, it is uh, another one of these evidences of the Christian faith uh, that reminds us that the Christian faith is something that is uh, it, it's not devised by the man, mind of man. Uh, no one would have come up with uh, three persons in one God. Uh, just... Uh, by accident or, or by devising. It's a, it's, a, it's a mystery of the Christian faith that uh, is a little hard to unravel. Uh, there are... Hello? Did uh, somebody talk? Yeah, you're on the air. Uh, go right ahead. Uh, okay. Uh, I, thought I, heard, uh, I thought I heard somebody talking. Uh, okay. So, um, when we try to think about what this mystery of the Christian faith, uh, this the Holy Trinity is, uh, there have been several illustrations that people are familiar with. And uh, these illustrations are, uh, for instance, the sun. When you consider the sun, the sun has uh, you know, the body of gas. It has the heat that the sun generates. And it has uh, the light that the sun emits. And, uh, and so people have compared that to the mystery of the Trinity, you know, uh, the sun considered as one thing, and then the kind of the things that the sun does, or the things that the sun emits, like light and heat. And uh, they've used that as an illustration of the Trinity. Uh, the trouble with that illustration is that 
Uh, heat is one thing, light is another, and gas is another. And what the Christian faith says about the Trinity is that all three persons, although being three distinct persons, are one in essence. And this means that all three persons uh, have the same divine attributes. Uh, in the Athanasian Creed, which is one of the uh, uh, probably lesser-known creeds of of Christendom, yeah. uh, it was devised in about uh, you would understand that. 700 A.D., and uh, it says that uh, you know the Father is Almighty, the Son is Almighty, the Holy Spirit is Almighty. No, just as I walked in, like ten of ten. Is somebody talking there? I can't hear. Hello. My show or calls during sober Joe, but she starts calling and says she left a voicemail. Oh, I didn't listen. I just walked in the door. Is hello. I'm having a little difficulty with this uh, remote location. Yeah, we're here, Joe. Uh, Brett, you sound great, so I Okay, I'm, 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 I'm hearing people talk in the background. I don't know if they're talking to me or... Okay. So I guess not. I guess they're just talking. Okay. Well, anyway, uh, going back to this doctrine of the Trinity and this illustration of the Son as uh, illustrative of what the Trinity is. When we consider what the Athanasian Creed says, the Father is Almighty, the Son is Almighty, the Holy Spirit is Almighty, yet there are not three Almighties, but one Almighty. The Father is eternal, the Son is eternal, the Holy Spirit is eternal, and yet there are not three Eternals, but one Eternal. Now, what the Athanasian Creed is telling us here is that all three persons possess the same attributes, meaning um, this illustration of the Son would... Uh, would, wouldn't quite capture what we mean by the mystery of the Trinity. Because heat is one thing, light is another, and a body of gas is, is still uh, distinct. So, um, let's take again another illustration that people have used, and that is uh, for the chemical compound H2O, which we know when we encounter uh, this chemical compound, water, it comes in, in three distinct forms. It can be a gas, steam, for instance. It can be uh, a solid, ice, or it can be liquid and water. You know, uh, so if it gets too hot, it becomes steam. If it gets too cold, it becomes ice. Uh, so again, the same principle applies to this illustration as applies to the sun. Because ice is one thing. Ice is cold. You know, the attributes of ice is cold. It's hard. Uh, the attributes of steam is it's gaseous and it's, it's very hot. Um, so you have uh, maybe the same chemical substance, but that chemical substance has different attributes in, uh, depending on uh, the conditions, cold or hot. Uh, so... Again, this would not be a good illustration of the Trinity because the Trinity has, uh, all three distinct persons have the same attributes. So when, uh, so when the uh, Athanasian Creed and the Scriptures actually get around to explaining the Trinity, what they say is, uh, you know, as I said before, the Father is Almighty, the Son is Almighty, the Holy Spirit is Almighty, and yet there are not three Almighties but one Almighty. Now, let's say that uh, if, there are, if there are three distinct persons, 
then what is the distinction between the persons? Well, uh, the Father is begotten by no one. Uh, the Son is neither made nor created nor be, uh, but begotten of the Father. So the distinction between the Father and the Son is that the Father begets and the Son is begotten. Uh, and then the Holy Spirit is neither made nor created nor begotten, but proceeds from the Father and the Son. So we might say the, uh, what is called, what has been called the identifying particularity of the Holy Spirit is that he is neither made nor created nor begotten, but he proceeds from the Father and from the Son. So uh, this is the only real distinction that we have in the persons of the Trinity. And you can see how, when people try to wrap their minds around the mystery of the Trinity, it can be quite difficult and a little frustrating for people. And there are some who just reject the Christian faith because they don't understand the nature of the Trinity. Uh, which, you know, there are many things we don't understand in life, uh, but we, we don't reject them because we don't understand them. I don't understand, for instance, uh, how medicine trips the chemical reactions in my body. Uh, I, I don't, I have, uh, I'm not privy to all that information. Uh, I, the doctor just gives, prescribes medicine for certain conditions that I have, and I take it, and it works. <laughs> so I don't reject it because I don't understand it. Uh, so this is this kind of the same thing with the Trinity. So why believe the Trinity? Why believe in this doctrine of the Trinity? Why believe there are, are three persons and one God? When it sounds on the surface, when it sounds so foolish, and the reason we believe it, of course, is because this is what Scripture says of God. Uh, in Scripture, all three persons of the Trinity are proclaimed to be God. For instance, in Acts chapter 5, the Holy Spirit is declared to be God. Uh, Peter says to Ananias and Sapphira uh, that you have not lied, uh, you have lied to the Holy Spirit, and you have not lied to men, but to God. Uh, in John chapter 1, um, we see that uh, Jesus is God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So we can see very clearly in Scripture that Jesus, the Son of God, is God. And, uh, of course, uh, the Father is God. Uh, we see in Genesis chapter 1 the Trinity at work. And uh, what do we see in, in Genesis chapter 1? Well, we see um, God says, let us make man in our image. Genesis chapter, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Let us make man in our image. Well, we ask ourselves the question, who is God speaking to when he said, let us make man in our image? Um, well, some people might say, well, he was, God was speaking to the angels. But if we take that position, it doesn't give us any indication that there's angels being spoken to. In fact, when God creates man, it's at, uh, the very next verse, 27 and 28, of course, so God created man in his own image. So what we see, in even in the very first chapter of the Bible, <coughs> is an, is, uh, an inter-Trinitarian dialogue that goes on between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And this happens several times in Scripture, 
It happens in Genesis chapter 11 when, uh, at the Tower of Babel when uh, God says, let us go down and confuse their languages. We talked about Pentecost last week, and, and so uh, uh, that was a good illustration of an inter-Trinitarian dialogue. Uh, but perhaps the greatest proof of the doctrine of the Holy Trinity comes when Jesus rises from the dead. And he comes to his disciples in, in Matthew chapter 28, and he says to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Uh, therefore, uh, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, what Jesus says here is that, that we're to baptize in the name. He doesn't say we baptize in the names, plural, but in the name, singular, okay? So when he says baptize him in the name, the one name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, uh, it is a name, one single name, that all three persons of the Trinity share. Now, <clears throat> some believe, and I think this is true, that that name is the name given uh, to Moses by God on Mount, on Mount Sinai before he is sent into Egypt, uh, that name being Yahweh, uh, or sometimes it's translated as Jehovah. Uh, so we might say that all three persons, the Father is Jehovah, the Son is Jehovah, the Holy Spirit is Jehovah, all three persons share this one divine name, which means that all three persons share the one divine essence of God. The one divine essence is the, uh, well, the substance of God, and so there's one God, and yet there remains three distinct persons. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Son says the Father is greater than him. And in authority, the Father is greater than the Son. The Son learns from the Father. The, the Son, uh, uh, he, he receives from the Father. The Son obeys the Father. And, uh, and so we see a distinction between uh, the persons of the Trinity, even in the relationship of Father and Son. Now, I want to ask um, the people in the studio, is Lee Hall there yet? Uh, I'm sorry he's not here yet, but I'm keeping an eye out for him, Brett. Thank okay. you. Okay. All right, so uh, usually what happens at this point in the broadcast is that Lee reads our lessons for the upcoming Sunday, and we talk about what they what they mean. So uh, so since Lee's not uh, there yet, well, evidently we've got our wires crossed, I'm going to go ahead and read the lessons for the upcoming Sunday. And uh, the uh, first lesson for Holy Trinity is from Isaiah chapter 6. Now, Isaiah chapter 6 is, uh, is a text that occurs after one of the great kings of Israel has died. And this is at the beginning of Isaiah's career as a prophet. And uh, King Uzziah has died. King Uzziah had a long, long reign. And uh, in this year that King Uzziah dies, Isaiah has a vision of the Lord. And here in, Gen in Isaiah chapter 6, it says, uh, starting in verse 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew, and one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The foundations of the thresholds shook, 
at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke, and I, saw, and I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. That's a very comforting passage, uh, because it ultimately speaks of us facing uh, uh, the, the holiest God, uh, the holy God, and we are facing him as, as what? We're facing him as people of unclean lips, people who are unclean, people whose sin has defiled them. And how do you appear before a, a holy God when you yourself are sinful, when you dwell among the people of unclean lips and you're an unclean, a person of unclean lips? Uh, well, uh, God himself from his altar purifies us. And this is a reference to the cross. This is a reference to the cross of Jesus where uh, he became the sacrifice and the cross became the altar. And there, uh, for our sins, Jesus atoned for us. And so it is, it is from this sacrifice of the cross that is brought to us, brought to our lips, and we might say in Holy Communion, when we come and we receive the body of Christ, for instance, or we, we take the blood of Christ, and in that eating and drinking, uh, our sins are forgiven. Uh, Jesus says, take and eat, take and drink. This cup is the New Testament in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. And in that eating and drinking, God cleanses us, and God forgives us. And so we have this mercy that is brought to us through the sacrifice of the cross, and we are able then to appear uh, before a holy God and and made ready, by the way, to see a holy God. And the holy God, of course, is, is the one that uh, Isaiah encounters here. He says, by the way, when Isaiah sees God, and he sees these uh, cherubim and seraphim, these angels, archangels, and they are, um, uh, uh, they are uh, saying continuously, holy, 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 all they can do before God is, is just acknowledge His holiness. And what a wonderful sight, by the way. Uh, this is a great promise that all Christians have, that, that uh, we will see God. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, He says, uh, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Well, we're not naturally pure in heart, but by the cross of Jesus we are made pure and able to see God. And when we see God, there is a sense of awe which all of us will feel. Um, you know, we have, uh, we have all seen beautiful things that kind of take our breath away. When we are um, uh, maybe at the beach and we look out over the ocean, look out over the shore, uh, maybe watch a sunrise or sunset, uh, when we see a rainbow in the clouds, uh, and maybe... Like uh, today, I'm here in Perryville, Kentucky, where you see these beautiful little mountain ranges springing up, kind of the foothills of the Appalachian. And you just want to stare at it. You just want to look at it because it's awe-inspiring. It, it's these moments that take your breath away, this beauty, beauty that you see in the world. Well, imagine, folks, when we see the author of all that beauty, and we see the source of all that beauty and 
and awe. And we see not, uh, you know, everything in this world is temporal. That means it had a beginning, it has an end. And uh, when you look at a temporal thing, whether it's a sunshine or a, a sunset or sunrise uh, or a rainbow, you know, it's, it's only there for a little bit of time. And even as much as you see it, after a while, it kind of the, the beauty and the awe kind of wears away. You can't stare at the ocean forever. Uh, after a while, it becomes boring. But when we come to the source of that beauty and the source of that all, who is not temporal but eternal, then we will be casting our eyes on an eternal beauty and a beauty that attracts us forever. And just imagine uh, being in the presence of that, of that kind of wondrous beauty. And, uh, and this is what the angels feel when they cry out, Holy, Holy, Holy. And this is what you and I will feel when, on the day that God appoints, we, we ourselves see God. And, uh, and, and we will be caught up in His eternal beauty and His eternal glory. But here, uh, Isaiah, and I think this is why the, uh, the uh, uh, authors of the lectionary chose this text for Trinity Sunday, we see the angel saying, Holy, Holy, Holy. And so it's a kind of a... a, a a threefold declaration um, that indicates, uh, you know, a trinity. Uh, by the way, we see this also in the benediction that God gives to Moses, the benediction that Aaron will speak over the people and that uh, the priests will speak over the people. It's a benediction that in our Lutheran service we say over uh, the people as we dismiss them each Sunday. And that is, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And here again, we, we encounter this, kind of this threefold declaration of the Lord, which, uh, although it's not explicitly revealed as the Trinity, it, it's one of those things that kind of gives you the indication of a, a thrifold blessing, a Trinitarian blessing, we call it. And... Uh, so an evidence of the Trinity. Um, <clears throat> so that is our text from Isaiah. Now we move on, and again we have uh, another reading this week from the Epistles. And the Epistle lesson comes from Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through 36. Now in this text, in its context, what Paul is doing is he's answering um, he's answering the question posed by some Jewish Christians who uh, have believed in Christ and now they've seen the Gentiles come to Christ and believe in Christ. And at this uh, church in Rome that Paul is writing to, uh, there are probably at this point more Gentile Christians in the church than Jewish Christians. And Paul is probably writing about 58 A.D. here, and so he's uh, writing to uh, a, a, a small group of this church is wondering, why isn't Israel included in this uh, covenant with Jesus? And Paul's trying to answer that question in chapters 9 through 11. And so we're not going to go into that much, but as you get to the end of Paul's section here, in chapter 11, in verses 33 through 36, Paul says this, 
Oh, the depth and the, of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are his judgments, and how inscrutable his ways! For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has thus given a gift to him, that it might be repaid? For to him and through him, uh, for, uh, for from him and to him and through him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Now, Paul makes this comment here at first about the uh, unsearchable uh, judgments of God and the inscrutable ways of God. In other words, what Paul is telling us here is uh, that the depth of God is such that we can't really wrap our mind around it. Uh, We can't wrap our mind around his judgments. We can't wrap our mind around his ways. His ways are inscrutable. Uh, and so, um, if we could, then what? Well, then we could become counselors of God. And many, many of course, uh, presume to be counselors of God. In other words, they presume to say what God is doing, whether it's fair, whether it's not fair. And uh, oftentimes, uh, people are confronted with this um, this question of theodicy. Uh, theodicy is a word that means, um, uh, you know, kind of the judgment of God. Uh, or, uh, maybe better put, uh, theodicy means, um, well, it's kind of a, a way of uh, thinking about why God does what he does, and why is there suffering in the world. So why does God allow this suffering? In other words, we're questioning the judgment of God. That's theodicy. Uh, so, if we if we were able to wrap our mind around God's judgments, or wrap our mind around His ways, of course, then we could become the counselors of God. We could presume to say, "God, you're doing wrong," or "God, you're doing right." And what Paul says here at, at the end of this section is that there's no way we can really do that. There's no way we can tell God that He's wrong because he's God, and his, his ways are much deeper than ours. And so, um, and this is what, by the way, this is what Job discovers at the end of his, at the end of his long uh, 42 chapters in the book of Job. And throughout the book of Job, Job is questioning, why is this evil happening to me? I haven't done anything wrong. I've been righteous throughout my life. Why does God bring this harm on me? Why is he after me? And at the end, as God confronts Job finally, at the end of the book, uh, Job says, uh, I repent in dust and ashes. He says, I, I didn't know. I didn't know. And this is what Paul's really telling us here, is we don't know. There's no way uh, that we can call God to the bar of our judgment because his ways are inscrutable. Now, he says here in verse 36, uh, for from him and through him and to him are all feet. That is, folks, even the wisdom that we do have is from Him. And we are able to exercise it through Him. And, of course, all, all things belong to Him. Uh, again, this is kind of a, a what people, what the Christian Church has taken as kind of a Trinitarian reference. Uh, you have from Him, through Him, to Him. And so uh, uh, it, is, it is seen as a kind of a, you know, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All things come from the Father. All things come to us through the Son. And all praise is given to the Spirit. 
to him be the glory forever. Amen. And that's our epistle lesson for Sunday. Now, uh, one more lesson, uh, and that is from the Gospel. So we're going to read this, and this is probably the most, really the most wonderful text for Trinity Sunday. Uh, again, the object of these lessons is not to explain the mechanics of the Trinity, not to explain why the Trinity is what it is. But here in the Gospel lesson, uh, uh, well, in all lessons, it's meant to, to provoke awe in the doctrine of the Trinity, just to, to provoke awe of God. And here in the Gospel lesson is, uh, is a really wonderful thing that we see. We see, the, we see the Trinity in action. And we see the Trinity actually working for our benefit. And so this lesson here is uh, from uh, John chapter 3, and uh, it takes place in the, in the context, it takes place in this dialogue that Jesus has with a man named Nicodemus. And it, it, it runs into one of maybe the, one of the most famous, famous Bible passages in all of Scripture, something you see every Sunday afternoon at the, uh, at the football game when they go to kick the field goal. So here, here in John chapter 3, starting in verse 1, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, and, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know, and we bear witness of what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I told you of earthly things, and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? No one has ascended into the heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And then this is this, this famous verse here, John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And, uh, of course, this is the gospel of, of the Lord. Now, uh, the thing about this text here is, first of all, we, we encounter our sinful nature and our inability to grasp uh, the deep things of God. Now, we find it first in Nicodemus. And Nicodemus, of course, is a teacher of the Scriptures. He's a rabbi himself. And he comes to Jesus by night because he sees Jesus doing these miracles. And he starts to question him. We see even here that he doesn't understand. And one of the reasons that Nicodemus doesn't understand is Nicodemus is not born again. And so uh, the first question... Uh, the, the, you know, the first question that Jesus, uh, or uh, 
first statement that Nicodemus makes, we know that you're a teacher, come on, provokes the response by Jesus, uh, uh, unless a man is born, uh, he says, truly, uh, truly, uh, I say to you, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. In other words, you don't understand it. You can't wrap your mind around it. And even, even being born again, we don't wrap our mind around it because God is inscrutable and his judgments are, are, uh, are beyond us. But unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, this statement that Jesus makes. Now, this is a very important statement. A lot of people wonder what it means to be born again. And there's been a lot of confusion in our culture about what it means to be born again. Uh, many people believe that being born again is this emotional experience that you have. It's an experience of uh, uh, feeling like you've changed and that there's something different about you. Uh, you know, many people experience a new birth, and they do it in a way that's almost, uh, they don't really notice anything. There's no, no emotions expressed. It's just, uh, they've gone from unbelief to faith. And so when Jesus says you must be born again, he's not talking about emotional experience. And he's not even really talking about a character change, except it does follow from, uh, from being born again. He simply means, uh, as we learn in Scripture, that all men are dead in sin, including Nicodemus, a teacher in Israel. All men are dead in sin. And uh, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, and uh, they must receive the life of God. They must receive Christ's life. And so uh, Nicodemus says, well, how can a man be born again? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born again, can he? And then Jesus responds, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit. So we ask, where does this new birth occur? And, uh, and of course, our answer is that the new birth occurs in holy baptism. Jesus makes reference to, to water and the Spirit, uh, which is the new birth that happens when, when someone is brought to the waters of baptism, where God, by uh, his own miraculous action, takes a person dead in sin and brings them to life. Now, we're not saying that it ha only happens in baptism. It happens through the preaching of the Word. Of course, when people hear the Word spoken, the Holy Spirit is working. He's bringing people to faith in Christ. But it's always connected to baptism. In other words, God intends, as Jesus says in Matthew chapter 28, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He intends for all, all believers to be baptized. And somehow in a way we don't understand, because God's ways are inscrutable, and his uh, judgments are deep, right? Uh, in a way we don't understand, God works through the sacrament of holy baptism to bring about the new birth. Now, some have wondered whether water and the Spirit really means baptism. And, of course, the objection has been made that water, uh, water simply means uh, when a person is born the first time that their, their mother's water breaks and they're, they're, they're brought to life through in, in that flood. Uh, well, uh, of course, uh, one of the things that happens after Jesus' dialogue with Nicodemus is that he actually starts baptizing people. And uh, so it would be awful, uh, it would be a funny coincidence here if Jesus says this thing about water and the Spirit and then immediately after his dialogue with Nicodemus, he, be he goes out and begins baptizing. If there wasn't a connection between the two events, in other words, 
this statement that Jesus makes about water and the Spirit and the baptisms that he does afterwards. Uh, in, uh, by the way, in Titus chapter 3, Paul calls, St. Paul calls uh, baptism a washing of regeneration. Okay? In other words, it's a, it's a new birth in the water. That's what baptism is. And so we, we find throughout Scripture this statement that the new birth is connected to baptism. So, folks, if you've been baptized, you've had the new birth. Even if, even if for a while your faith was uh, dormant uh, or uh, not, not really, you weren't really active in your faith, it doesn't mean you're saved, because it's faith alone that saves. But the Holy Spirit has done His work through holy baptism. And what remains for you is to believe what the Holy Spirit did when you were baptized. If you were baptized before you uh, consciously became uh, uh, a believer in Christ, then you believe what the Holy Spirit says of your baptism, and, uh, and you receive that. You receive the gift that, that God gave you through holy baptism. So enough about holy baptism, because what we're really trying to find out here is uh, the Holy Trinity. What does this text have to say about the Holy Trinity? Well, Jesus goes on to say here, um, uh, Nicodemus says, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him. Uh, he, he says, uh, verse 11, Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness of what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Now, the question again is, who is Jesus speaking about when he says we and our? Um, wherever else you find this kind of language in the Gospel of John, uh, he, he will say things like, uh, for instance, the Father bears witness of me, right? So when he says this here in verse 11, he's, not t he's talking about the Holy Trinity. Uh, uh, the whole, the, what God says comes from what God knows, and what, they, what God has borne witness to, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we, and our, our testimony. This is, a, this is a, the testimony that is given by the Holy Trinity. Um, we see that testimony, for instance, in the baptism of Jesus. When Jesus is baptized, he goes down into the water. The Holy Spirit descends on him as a dove. And the Father from heaven says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. This is the testimony of God about Jesus. And so this is the testimony that Jesus refers to when he says, um, We, we uh, truly, truly, say we bear witness of what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Right? And uh, so, uh, then, in John 3.16, when, when after Jesus says in 15, he says, uh, 14, he says, And Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And then he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. So we have God giving his Son, and we have the Holy Spirit bringing about the new birth. In this text here, in John chapter 3. And so the very the really wonderful thing about this Gospel lesson is, that it is a uh, it is a primer on the Holy Trinity, but not in the way we would think of it as a kind of a 
a mechanical explanation of how the Holy Spirit works, how the Holy Trinity works. But it is the Holy Trinity in action. In the Holy Trinity, God is giving His Son. So the Father gives the Son. The Son goes willingly to the cross. He suffers for us. So there's the Son's part. And then you have the Holy Spirit who brings about this new birth. He brings about faith at the preaching of the Word, at, the, uh, pr- at, at, at Holy Baptism. The Holy Spirit is doing His work to save and, and to, uh, to bring, us, um, uh, uh, bring, bring the Word of Truth to us and, and to, uh, to rescue us from our sins. So what we see in John chapter 3 is the Holy Trinity working to save us from sin working to save us from death, giving us the new birth, uh, because God has sent His Son, and the Son has been sacrificed for us. We have salvation. And that's really what this text is about. And so we have kind of really a, little, a, a wonderful uh, illustration of the Trinity here. And, uh, and we see, if we don't see the whole picture of, of what God is doing, at least we see a little glimpse of it. Enough to encourage us that God is for us. And this, of course, is what uh, Paul says as he concludes his section in Romans chapter 11. You know, if God is for us, who can be against us? And the God we find in John chapter 3 is the God who is for us. We might say, folks, to each individual, that the God we find in John chapter 3 is the God who is for you. This God is for you. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter how you've sinned, no matter how long you've sinned, God desires your salvation. He desires it so much that He gave His only begotten Son that you might not perish but have eternal life. And if God loves you that much, and if God is is sending this message to you, He's telling you of His inscrutable ways, nothing you could ever figure out on your own initiative, but something that he reveals to you in the pages of Scripture, something that he reveals to you through the, through the prophets and apostles, well, it is time to listen. It is time to believe what God says and to trust the promises that he makes to us. Well, we uh, thank you for joining us today. Uh, I know it's a little, kind of a little odd being here in Perryville, Kentucky, and, and trying to do a broadcast in Marion, Ohio. But uh, I'm glad I was able to. I hope that you uh, enjoyed the program. I know there's probably a lot of questions. Unfortunately, we can't take your call today because I'm on the line, and it'd be pretty hard to, to cut in on me and have me answer your questions. So uh, if you have some questions about the Holy Trinity next week that you'd like me to answer, uh, I'll be ready and available to answer those questions. I know this is kind of a, a deep subject, and... People have a lot of questions about it. That's a very legitimate thing. It's hard for us to understand. So if you want to uh, talk about it next week, uh, give us a call uh, at uh, 383-9944, 740-383-9944-WWGH, and we'll be happy to answer those questions. Now, folks, uh, we want you to know also that the reason we do this program is we want you to know Christ. We want you to know God's salvation. And so if you don't have a church home, and, uh, and you're looking for a church home, come join us at Gethsemane Lutheran Church. Gethsemane meets at 219 East Church Street, right, this, uh, right between the old YMCA and Rocky's Bicycle Shop on uh, East Church Street, on the corner of Church and High. Our services are 4.30 on Saturday afternoon 
and Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. And uh, so we'd love for you to have you join us. I'm glad you joined us for our broadcast today. This broadcast will re-air on Sunday morning at 9.15 and Wednesday evening at 7.15. So if you, don't want to, if you caught part of it, you want to catch the rest of it, you can catch it then. And uh, if not, we'll see you on, uh, hear you, or at least you'll hear us next uh, Friday morning live at 11.12 a.m. And we hope to join us for another edition of the Wittenberg Door. Thank you for joining us. Have a good day. Bye-bye.